Is that about it? Romans, oh, that's what we're doing now. So we probably better do something like that. Um, am I allowed to say Happy Valentine's Day? Is, is that acceptable? Is that all right to say that? No. I was going to say, who forgot? And then I was going to say, well, who didn't care because it's Valentine's Day every day, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, that's a challenge. Come and talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you the secret. Great, let's pray and uh, then let's just listen to what our great God wants to say through his word. Yeah, Father, thank you for this, uh, this evening and the precious time already we've had today, Lord. What, a, what an awesome privilege it is. And it really is, Lord. I just trust that we don't take it for granted that we can set aside the normal work a day week and come aside and be with precious brothers and sisters in Christ and, and uh, Lord, not just enjoy each other's company, but to just sense your presence. That's what makes it all real and alive and happening is that you're here, you're here. Otherwise, we'd just be like any other club but you're here, Lord, it's a living organism and that's what your church is about. And Father, we just thank you that you're here tonight in the power of your spirit and we pray that you will just walk up and down the aisles as it were and just touch people in the seats tonight. Just do what you do, Lord. And we just want to open your word and pray that you'll speak to us. We're very needy people, Lord. We acknowledge that. We confess that tonight and we thank you that you've got the answers. You are the answer to every human need. So please meet us, show us something fresh and new and then show us how we put it into action, Lord, in our own lives, we pray, that might not just grow us and stretch us, but Lord, that it might just reach someone else who's really struggling to come to know the answers to their own life. So Lord, be, to, be with us now. Thank you that you are as we commit ourselves into your wonderful hands in Jesus' name. Amen. So the focus of our church this year, the focus of our church, is contained within the second part of our mission statement, which is, two words, transforming, thank you, good, good one, transforming people, transforming people. If you ever listen to that word transforming, to me anyway, the, the words transforming or transformation are great descriptive, excuse me, are great descriptive words, um, even powerful words that that speak of something new and fresh and extraordinarily taking place to something that would otherwise remain ordinary, perhaps even a bit dull and boring. But if that something becomes um, transformed, what does that say to you? I, I, I think it's not surprising that the marketing and media world would use those kinds of terms or, or that kind of sense about transformation to sell their products to us. I mean, for example, um, one company might say, well, buy our dieting products, uh, buy our fitness equipment, and we will transform your body. Have you heard anything like that or something similar to that? Purchase our furnishings and our home products, and we guarantee it will transform your home. Buy our software, and it'll transform your business. Attend our seminars and we will transform you into an amazing, successful, money-making machine. Transformation. I think it's a great word. But I want to say this tonight. I've got to say this. I much prefer the way God uses that word. 
I love the way that God and his word uses the word transformation. Mainly because his transformation will see you into his eternity. Unlike the promises and the claims that the world makes when it uses that same word. When God says transformation, he's speaking about something eternal. And that's really exciting. The word of God through the Apostle Paul says this in Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. They're powerful words, aren't they, really? Can you better God's will because it's good, it's pleasing and it's perfect? Can you do better than that? No, we can't. Listen to how the Amplified Version says this same passage, which I think will help to, uh, further, our, uh, to, will help to uh, further explain this for us. The Amplified says this, Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. I love the way the Amplified does that. If you haven't got an Amplified Bible, get hold of one. It's a terrific study tool when you start unfolding and wanting to unpack the scripture and enrich it a little bit more. It's a great tool to use. So when a human being is invaded by the Holy Spirit, through your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that person will experience a true transformation. A true transformation. You let the Holy Spirit in, he will transform you. Or it's as Paul says to the Corinthians, he puts it in these words, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Love it. So it would seem reasonable then that one would expect a transformed person in Christ, that new creation in Christ, to also have a transformed attitude. In their lives. Don't you think that just kind of stands to reason? If you're transformed truly by Christ, wouldn't that mean that your attitude would be transformed as well? In this passage before us here in Romans 12, 9 to 21, which we're looking at tonight, Paul is teaching and he's reminding believers how this transformed or this new attitude is expressed. In particular, from verses 9 to 13, how love is to, is to operate within the family of faith in Christ. We're talking about love here, transformed attitude affecting love. More about that in a minute, but 
So how that will actually work its way out in the life of a believer, verses 9 to 13. And then from verses 14 to 21, how love responds to those who may be outside of Christ. Certainly responds to those who may have it in for you, those who may oppose you. So the first thing that that Paul says in verse 9 is, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been the object of a love that was insincere? I think if we had the time and we went around the audience tonight, the congregation, there'd be a lot of stories here tonight. A lot of heartbreaking stories, I would imagine. Have you ever been the object of of a love that was insincere? I'm sure there are many who have. Hopefully no one's been caught in those online dating scams. Lots of insincerity going on there. It's in the news at the moment. You've probably seen it. So many people, desperately lonely people looking for love who have been scammed by these so-and-sos. But I want us to think of something else. I want us to flip it around a bit and I want to challenge us as a church here tonight because when I looked at what Billy Graham had said, so evangelist and author Dr. Billy Graham, I'm sure most of us know that. I want you to hear what he says about insincerity regarding the church. Listen to this. The world has been offended by our insincerity. The world has been misled by our insincerity. The world has been discouraged by our insincerity. This is the greatest stumbling block to evangelism in the world today. Wow, he kind of hits it, doesn't he? Therefore, listening to what he says, hearing what God's word's saying tonight, it's essential that our love be the real thing. That it be genuine, that it be without hypocrisy. In fact, if you've got a version, it'll talk about that. Love must not be hypocritical or something like that. Without hypocrisy. And you know, the good news is this. Such love will be. It will be real. It will be the real thing. It will be genuine. It will be without hypocrisy. As long as Christ is continually given that place of living out his life in and through your life that, that, that's the good news you might say well how's that going to happen well is Jesus in your life yeah he is is he allowed to live his life in you and through you freely without you putting any barriers on him or restricting him let the spirit of God loose in your life let him live in you let him live out of you have that desire then it's pretty certain that that love that you have for people you know for him and for people will be genuine it will be real It'll be without hypocrisy. I'm not saying we're perfect, but let Christ live in you. Let him live in you. Let him live through you. There's a story, stories told, I'll read it, of a man who sat through a church service. And then on his way home, he complained about the sermon. He complained about the traffic. He complained about the heat. And he complained about the lateness of the meal that was being served when he got home. Then he bowed his head and he prayed and said, Grace. His son was watching him all the way through this post-church experience. 
just as they were beginning to pass the food, he said, Dad, did God hear you when we left the church and you started complaining about the sermon and about the traffic and about the heat? And the father sort of blushed and he said, well, yes, son, he heard me. Well, Dad, did God hear you when you just prayed for this food right now? And his son and the father said, well, yes, son, he, uh, he, he, he did hear me. And the son says, well, so, Daddy, which one did God believe? Mmm. <laughs> Ouch. I kind of suspect that many of us here possibly could relate to that story in one way or another. Love must be sincere, says the Apostle Paul. And it comes from a transformed attitude, initiated and empowered by the living God himself. Doesn't happen naturally. It's got to come from God. Then it's real. Then it's sincere. Then it's powerful. Just look at Christ. You kind of wonder what that might look like. Well, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus for the perfect expression and the perfect example of sincere love. The Apostle John, well, he puts it in these words too. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And so you'll notice as we go through this passage that Paul does exactly this. He's not talking about words and speech. He's into actions and he's into truth. And we see this starting to happen right here. He's talking about how this sincere love is to be lived out in the life of a believer. And so look at verse 9 again. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Kind of it's strange when you think about it that these two words are in the same verse. We've got love and hate in the same verse. But we need to understand this word hate here is speaking about discernment. It's about being discerning. You see, sincere love is not the blind emotional sentiment that we often hear about or are exposed to in this world. But on the contrary, this love, this love is about discernment. It's discerning what is evil and what is good. Do you get that? That's what this sincere love's about. Being able to discern wisdom, God's wisdom, God's insight, helping you to hear, helping you to understand and identify what's evil and what's good and how we need that in this, in this world and in this life. This sincere love is about loathing evil. It loathes evil. That's the, that's the meaning of what we have here tonight. It loathes evil. Even to be shocked by evil. There's a question, isn't there? Are we really shocked by the evil that we see and hear about in this world? Does it shock us anymore? Or are we kind of just more and more getting desensitised to it? So, oh, well, yeah, there's another bashing and... Oh, yeah, there's another murder. 
Or are we really shocked by it and say, oh God, please, Jesus, come again soon. How do we pray, Lord, for some of the evil that's going on in our societies? Hate evil. Cling to what is good. In other words, that word cling means to be like glue, bonded together. Bond to the good things. Bond to those things that God gives us. Bond to those things that God reveals to us. Stick to it. Discern evil. And the more you get to know God, the more you stick to him and glue to him, the more you will identify and become very, very clear of discerning about what is evil. And it goes on in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Well, did you hear that? Honour one another above yourselves. Some versions say, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It has this sense of family affection to it. Hopefully that's the case in your family, where you do love each other, where you have that brotherly love, that sisterly love, that family unity. Because you and I know, you may know families where that simply is not the case. How sad for those families who are torn apart, who don't get on with each other. There isn't that devotion toward each other. It's the opposite. But a transformed attitude that exhibits sincere love will show a warm spiritual affection to other believers which unites the family of God's people together and listen and powerfully testifies to the world that we belong to Christ. That's what it does. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So when Christians love each other and it's genuine and it's authentic and the world sees it because I believe the world is starving for that kind of love. When they see that amongst God's people, they know this Jesus is real. I can see him at work in the lives of those people. All, we're, all men will know that you are, you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's powerful. It's what Jesus is all about. And we are to honour one another above ourselves. Not competing with each other. Not trying to get the better of each other. That's not love. We seek to honour one another above ourselves. Or as Paul says in Philippians 2, 3 and 5, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Hear these words tonight. Boy, do we all need them. Lord. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is Paul saying this in Philippians. He goes on verse 4. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then take a look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 in this same passage of Philippians 2. It, it just sums everything up, as we've already mentioned. Verse 5 says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus has. 
In other words, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus in your relationships. Do you want to know what sincere love is all about? You want to know what a transformed attitude does? This sincere love that comes out of that, just look at Jesus. What a perfect role model. And we're told to have the same attitude as he has. Do you know what? That can really happen. That can really happen. It needs to happen, does happen. That's when the church becomes powerful to the world when they see that love is authentic and not hypocritical. And then verse 11 says this, never, lack, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. So Paul goes on in these next two verses with a series of exhortations uh, relating to more of the qualities found in the transformed attitude of a believer this transformed attitude of sincere love it's speaking about the same thing so he says never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the lord and you'll notice in this verse is uh, maybe you've picked it up maybe you haven't but this verse is very descriptive of the third part of our missions of our mission statement just so happens to be that way and that says transforming people into passionate followers of Christ. Keep your spiritual zeal, your spiritual fervour, serving, uh, serving the Lord. Don't be lacking in zeal. Doesn't that speak about being passionate followers of Christ? More about that in 2017. But this can be risky too. You, you get fair dinkum about this and say, Jesus, I want, I want to be more hungry for you. I want to thirst for you more. I want the genuine product, Lord. And we need to pray like that and we need to have that kind of hunger and thirst. If you haven't, then you need to ask God to give it to you. Be honest with him. But it can be risky when you do that, you see, because as you grow in your passion, as you grow in this zeal, as you grow in this enthusiasm and this spiritual fervour in serving the Lord, you may be branded as a fanatic. Anyone been branded as a fanatic? Religious fanatic? You know a bit of my story. We, we, we have, I have, from a relative. It's sad, but some of them see that. And it might happen by other Christians. Some other Christians might call you that. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful when we start doing things like that. But having said that, I've also got to say this, that I'm sure that we've all seen what we might suspect as being a display of what we might call unbridled enthusiasm. Uh, possibly a little bit of exhibitionism. I, I've seen that, I guess, in some places. I'm sure you have. People just like to show off a bit, you know. And, but again, got to be real careful in that. But again, when our true focus and our desire is in serving the Lord, when that's our heart's desire, he will keep us in check. I believe that. John Stott says this, practical commitment to the Lord Jesus as slave to master, and that's what we are, he says, will keep zeal anchored in reality. Do you understand that? So we're not going to be kind of too heavenly minded for any earthly use. When we desire Jesus and we have his spirit working in our lives, and we submit ourselves to Christ. That's what John Stott's talking about. Practical commitment to the Lord Jesus 
as a slave to his master will keep zeal anchored in reality. Verses 12 and 13 goes on and says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So many great things. These are just sermons themselves tonight. And you know, just picking up a couple of thoughts here. If anyone, if anyone has cause to be joyful and hopeful about the future, it's the one whose mind and attitude has been transformed through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If anyone has the right, if you like, or the cause to be joyful and to look forward to the, to the future hope that we have. A lot of people out there aren't looking, much for, aren't looking forward to the future at all. Some are scared of the future. And of course we are alarmed at what we see and what we hear. But we know overall, we know who's in charge, we know who's on the throne. The Lord Jesus Christ, this same Jesus of whom it was said here in Hebrews 12 now, verses 2 and 3 says this, that we're to fix our eyes or fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then verse 3 says, consider him. Fix your eyes on him. Consider him. Who endured such opposition from sinners so that you and I, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart because that, I believe, is a tendency for us if we're not careful, if we take our eyes off Jesus, if we don't fix our eyes on him we can very easily become weary and lose heart in our service for him. But again, when you think about that, when you look at these scriptures, doesn't he, doesn't he, the Lord Jesus, just summarise and complete everything about the transformed attitude and the sincere love that we are to have in and through him? It's no wonder that we are to, that we're called, commanded, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And in this next section, Paul outlines to the believer how a transformed attitude displaying sincere love responds to those now, to those who, who will react against you, those who may come against you, those who will oppose you, possibly those who are outside of Christ. Maybe those who are not. But look at verse 14. Paul then goes on, he says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Did you get that? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Hmm. God reminds us again what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 to 44. Jesus said this, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And of course, he's the perfect role model. He did exactly that. 
You remember that it was Jesus, how the Lord Jesus himself and how Stephen, the first martyr, modelled this exact scripture when they were being put to death. They prayed for their persecutors. They didn't curse them. They prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Didn't curse them. You see, sincere love does that. It's the only love that can do that. And we are to empathise with others as Christ did. We are to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to mourn with those who mourn. We're to live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. How are we, how are we going in that area? Here's a good test, perhaps, for this scripture. You might ask yourself this, ask myself this. Is there any person or is there any group that I would be embarrassed to be seen with by my friends or by my family? So is there anyone that comes to your mind at the moment, anyone or any group of people? that you personally would be embarrassed to be seen if your friend saw you with that person or these people, would you feel embarrassed about that? Might be okay on your own if no one's watching, but if someone is watching, would, would you feel uncomfortable, embarrassed about being with that person or that group? And then you need to ask yourself a good, honest question. Why? Why would I feel awkward or uncomfortable, embarrassed by being with that person? or that group might they be in that category of low position good questions to ask good things to reflect on with the Lord and then verses 17 to 18 goes on in Romans 12 do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, our public behaviour needs to be above reproach. It needs to be above criticism. That's what God wants for us. That's what he wants to empower us and how he wants to empower us to live. You see, I, I think this is what Billy Graham was talking about when he said the world or, or those around you um, have become offended or misled or discouraged by what they see when Christians are behaving badly because whether you like it or not your non-Christian friends expect better of you you get that sometimes they're, they're, their expectations are a bit unrealistic but they do expect a high standard from you when they don't get that then they kind of start wondering about whether you're for real does it mean we're perfect? no it doesn't and when we blow it we need to say it you know I'm, I'm, I really mucked up there but I just thank God he forgives us. In reference to verse 18, as best as we can, we are to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. We mean to be peacemakers, not troublemakers. We, we need to refuse to, to inflame an already heated situation uh, when there might be a quarrel or, or tension between people. We don't want to come and, as they say, throw fuel on the fire. 
I'm not talking about peace at any cost. I'm talking about being a peacemaker, looking for the way of peace through all of that, looking to bring people together, looking at being a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And then it goes and says, if, if it's possible, and as, it far, as far as it depends on you, and it says that because sometimes those people that you're trying to help will refuse your help. They won't want your influence. They won't want your suggestions for help. They will tell you to go. And in those situations, you've done all you can. So you leave that situation with the Lord. You pray for them. Be faithful in prayer, the scripture says. So pray for that situation. Pray for those people. That's probably all you can do. Let me keep moving. Verses 19 to 21. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. This is a curly one, challenging one. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How are we going with that one? <laughs> if you're honest, like I want to be honest tonight, this goes against our grain. This stuff just goes against our natural inclinations. If someone, if someone has a go at you, if someone does something nasty to you, what's the natural inclination for us? I'm going to get you back. Isn't it? Movies are made with that exact theme. And I must admit, I find some of them pretty exciting. Someone's nasty to someone, you know how it is. And then the whole movie is about this guy getting revenge on every one of those culprits. And there's something inside us that goes, yeah, get him. Isn't it? It's natural, it's human, but it's not what God's saying tonight. It's not of the spirit. And he says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Don't take revenge. Leave that to God. He knows what he's doing. I've got to share a little story with you. <laughs> the Lord really hit me with this. A couple of weeks ago, my son and I went to the pictures. He rang me up and said, Dad, what are you doing? It happened to be a Tuesday, my day off. I said, well, I'm just about heading home. Son. He said, well, I've got some time out, so how about if we go and see a movie? I said, sure, let's go and see a movie. He told me what it was. Star Wars went to see this movie in the middle of a Tuesday. The theatre was empty. We walked in and there was a couple of people on the back row. The whole space in the middle was empty. We got our tickets. It had two seat numbers on it. We saw that the whole middle part of the actual theatre was empty. Hey, do you know what? Brendan was there. You didn't see this though. So we go and we sit down, my son and I, we sit down in this seat right in the middle, right smack in the middle of this great big screen. It was a great seat. Empty. You get, you get the picture. It was empty. And this couple walk in. I kind of see them out of the corner of my eye. They walk in. They walk up to our row. They walked up to our seat. And they said, excuse me, but you're sitting in our seats. <laughs> and I'm looking around. There's, this place, there's seats everywhere. And they said, but you're sitting in our seats. We've got to have a drink. What could I do? I looked at my seat number. I, I said, what's your seat number? It says 1011. And I said, well, okay, well, what could I do? I had to get up and we moved. My son giggled at this. He laughed. I'm glad he laughed. I was okay with that. I was fine with that. 
But I want to tell you, my fleshy nature started to kick into gear. During the movie, I found myself starting to seethe. Something in me started to rise up. And I started to have all these revengeful thoughts about what this young whippersnapper had done. Fancy telling me to get up out of my seat when it was... And I did, I, I was wrestling with all this stuff and I was starting to have all these thoughts. I, said, I had a water bottle, I said, oh, why don't you just pour the water bottle on the seat? <laughs> they would have thought you're incontinent. And then you got up and it was wet. Oh, he probably wouldn't have sat there. I had all these stupid thoughts. I was thinking my son should have come up, behind, come up alongside me and said, come on, Dad, let's get you up. You know, like I'm half crippled, back injury, you know. Come on, Dad. And this guy and people around him would have said, you horrible people, how come you let that man get up like that? You get a sense, I'm human. I have the same thoughts that you do. All this stuff's going on in my mind. I'm wrestling with this. But as is his habit... And I'm glad it's his habit. The Lord of my transformed attitude and sincere love kicked in with a louder voice than the one that was in my head and he rebuked that thinking. And that's what he does. He wants the best for us, you see. So we need to listen to what he says, not what we hear ourselves, not the self-talk that goes on. God's word clearly reminds us through the writer of Hebrews. Chapter 10 and verse 30. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Do you get that first part of that verse? For we know him. For we know him. And he knows us. And doesn't that make all the difference? I want to ask you tonight, do you know him? Do you know him tonight? His name is Jesus. He's the one who transforms us, including our attitudes. And he fills us with his sincere love. The same love, the same love by which he loves you and me. What an awesome God we have. Let him into your life. Let him take charge. Listen to his voice. Do what he says. It's the best thing you can ever do. Transformation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, your word tonight. Thank you for just reminding us again how much you do love us, how much you care about us. You initiated, as Brendan mentioned tonight, Lord, you're the one who initiated that whole love affair with us <laughs> where would we be had you not been the initiator we'd still be lost and dead in our sin lord under your condemnation and justifiably but you did come to us you did come you did rescue us you filled us with your spirit that transforming power of the holy spirit that fills us with a sincere love for you and for each other. Lord, help us as a church, help us this very day, for the rest of this evening, and Lord, into the, into the new week, Lord, help us to put into practice the things that you've been touching our hearts about tonight. Do your work, Lord. Help us to be simply vessels open and receptive to you. 
Be the hand that fits in the glove, Lord. We're the glove, you're the hand. Do your work in and through us so that people may see that Jesus Christ is real. He's alive. He makes all the difference. He transforms us. And it's for eternity. Thank you, Lord. Bless us. Thank you for what you have tonight. May we be a blessing to others this week, we pray, as we ask it for your glorious and wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Bless you, folks. Thanks.